This podcast contains discussions of child abuse, sexual repression and sexual abuse, suicide, racism, misogyny, PTSD and PTSD symptoms, and spiritual oppression and abuse, including guilt, shame, and fear. In most episodes, we will be mentioning some of these concepts in a general way without any graphic detail. If any of these topics or other triggering topics will be mentioned in great detail, we will let you know at the beginning of each individual episode, as well as in the show notes for that episode. Hail Satan! And welcome back to the Leaving Eden podcast. I am the Prince of Darkness himself, Gabrielle Hakoen, and I am here with my co-host. Hi, I'm Sadie Carpenter. Well, today, um, today I tripped over one of Chuck's toys, and it's my belief that that happened because the devil is trying to oppress me. So I think that Satan came into my house and put her toy in my path so that I would stub my toe on it because he was hoping that that would cause me to sin. <laughs> well, why didn't Jesus stop him, step in? And well, I mean, that could be because uh, the devil went before God and asked his permission to tempt me to sin by putting a toy under my foot so that I could trip on it. It could also be that God just allowed this to happen in order to test my faith. <laughs> Gavi, there are a lot of spiritual reasons that could possibly be behind me tripping over a toy. And it's definitely not just the coincidence that I live in the house with an eight-month-old who's just learned how to be extremely <laughs> mobile. Oh, congratulations on your little daughter knowing how to crawl. And um, can she stand up by she herself She can stand now? up by herself now. And she, she can, can walk really wow. well if you just like hold her both hands. She can and just like put her put her little feet between your feet. She'll toddle all over the house. That's cute. That's cute. That's what you love to see. That's um, child development goals right yeah, there. Well, but she, I gotta she's be. She's really happy gotta, because she was super mad. She hated not being able to move. So now that she can move, she's a lot happier. You love to hear it. You love to see it. But I've got to ask you a question, and you've got to be honest with me. Um, about this, actually, I feel like I can't say "be honest with me" after the. the I was going to say to qu- quote yeah. Heather, "I've been honest the whole time." <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> no, no, but uh, did tripping over that tin? Uh, did tripping over that toy tempt you to sin? Um, did it make you utter blasphemies and curses and uh, taking the Lord's name in vain? I don't think it tempted me too badly. I don't. I don't think I. Not too I don't think I uttered any blasphemies or curses. So just a little bit. Uh, maybe in my head, but that's less of a sin than letting it come out my mouth. So if this was a plot from the devil, it wasn't very successful. But if it was a test from God, then I got like a B plus. So I think either way, I'm good. <laughs> not today, Satan. Exactly. Not today, Satan. <laughs> but actually, yes, today, Satan, because today. We are doing the first hey. part of a two-part series on the Roaring Lion, the Prince of the Power of the Air, the Morning Star, the Angel of Light, the Serpent Deceiver, Beelzebub, Satan himself. Yes, yes, yes. Actually, 
Why, why does he have so many names? You know, do we know that? I did. This is another one of those episodes where I'm going to publish my sources as a free post because there are a lot. And I didn't, I didn't come across the answer to that question. Okay. Well, before we get into all of this talk about Satan, the devil, we're going to talk about Satan, the devil, devil worship, um, satanic ritual abuse. Uh, some of this stuff is going to be this week. Some of the stuff is going to be next week. Uh, but before we get into all of that, the Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast about Sadie Carpenter's life in and escape from the independent fundamental Baptist cult where she was raised. We talk about this cult. We talk about other cults. We talk about religion. We talk about fundamentalism. The real and present danger that cult ideologies pose to society as a whole and it is our mission to promote freedom of mind, freedom of thought, and freedom of religion. So if you enjoy this show, if you are a fan of the show, there's some stuff that you can do to support us. You can join our Facebook group. Uh, you can That is going to be facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus. You can join our subreddit, which is reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. You can leave us a positive review on iTunes. You can last and certainly not least join our Patreon where we have extended and uncensored episodes of this show. And that reminds me, I have to thank our Faith Promise Missions tier patrons uh, and those, as always, Didi Keppel, Kathleen Moncrief, Jessica Tambo, Emery Fairlosser, Wes the Cowboy Coker, and two brand new Faith Promise Missions tier patrons who just joined today, as in the day that we are recording this, Thursday the 11th, which are Linda Morgan and Kristen Marie. All of our, I, I love all the support that we get from listeners because everybody, obviously our patrons support us financially and make it possible for us to continue the mission of this podcast. And that's super important. The people who engage in our Facebook group uh, support us personally every day and support other listeners. I love when I see listeners in the Facebook group offering support to each other in their personal lives. That's amazing. The people who share our show with other people are such a huge source of support and help us reach new listeners. I, I love everybody's place within. I feel I feel like we're really building a community and that makes me happy. Yes, I am very happy about that, too. There was somebody who wrote a post uh, to do with some of the stuff we talked about a couple of weeks ago on the marriage episode today. Oh, yeah, that's very one of my interesting. buddies. That, that's somebody that I knew in the IFB. That was, that was Sarah. That's somebody that I knew in the IFB. Yeah, that's definitely worth checking out. One thing I just need, I've been corrected about something. I need to uh, set the record straight. So Jim Bob is not going to be running for uh, Arkansas State Senate in an election for next November. It's a special election to oh. fill a vacant seat. So it's going to be much sooner. I think it's going to be uh, early next year. There's going to be a primary, I think, in a couple months. And then early next year is when the election is actually that going makes, to be the special election. That yeah. makes more sense. I also, well, while we're on the topic, uh, he He's no longer running unopposed. There is Good. there is somebody else running. Now, we don't know much about this guy. He could have views just as toxic as Jim Bob's. So this isn't excellent news by any means. Uh, but that guy does not have a, a son who is about to go on trial for possession of child sexual assault images and materials. So he is somewhat somehow better than Jim Bob. We're transitioning straight from Jim Bob to Satan. Well, sure. Yeah, well, it makes sense. Um, Sadie, I want to start this episode off with what I feel like may be a bit of a stupid question. 
No such thing. Never mind. Never mind. This is you. Go ahead. Who is Satan? <laughs> so I wrote this like a whole outline for this episode, and it didn't even include me trying to give a background on who Satan is until you graciously reminded me that not everybody was raised in a cult and people may not have a great idea of who Satan is. It's, it's not something that you think about, is it? Like when Star Wars came out, it's like were people asking who is Darth Vader? You know, no, he's the bad guy. He wears all black. He chokes people. Y- you see him on screen. You know, that's the bad. Like that's it's kind of like the, that with the big bad. Yeah, it's, it's like a character. Yeah, he just exists in the zeitgeist. The yeah. bad guy. But the elements of Satan's story and the personification of this person or spirit or however you want to phrase it, th- that is just woven into certain parts of Christianity. Like Darth Vader wears black and chokes people. The devil wears a red suit, smells like smoke, and carries a pitchfork. And is Saddam Hussein's fractious boyfriend, according to South Park. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean are you sure that's satan not just like an extremely fashionable farmer well i think we should get into what the christian view of satan is and how this personification of him happened okay going back to the bible in the bible who is this guy satan what's his deal so in christian theology this is satan's backstory this is his supervillain backstory I love a good supervillain backstory. So here's your supervillain backstory for the devil. So angels are created beings. The only ones, angels are the only type of being who are not human, but also not eternal. Like they're created by God. The only people who are eternal are God. It's one God, three personages of God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Holy Spirit. So God in three persons, but one spirit. I'm not going to try to explain the Trinity on this podcast. Sorry. God was hanging out alone in heaven for a very long time. And then God created angels to fulfill the purpose that humans would eventually fill of praising and glorifying God. There were three archangels created who were like captains of teams of angels. There's three teams of angels, three archangels, Michael, Gabriel, and Lucifer. Lucifer was heaven's hype man. Like, how great would that be to be God, just to be able to make your own hype man out of thin air? Well, in mainstream Christian Christian theology, that's kind of what God did when he created people. Like, God created people because he wanted us to all live lives and then die so that we could go to heaven. And then when we go to heaven, it will be our job to praise and glorify God forever. Mm. But if you're one of those people that believe that revelation is real, then you also believe that there's a whole choir of absolutely freaky looking angels with like 20 eyes and a bunch of wings. I didn't have time to look it up. And their job is just to say, holy, holy, holy for all eternity. That's a hell of an idea for a Christmas decoration. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that this year. Yeah. But that, that's off topic. <laughs> oh, yeah. Back to heaven's uh. hype man, Lucifer. So his job and the job of the roughly one third of the angels in heaven that he led was to make music and glorify God, to praise God constantly. Lucifer was the angel of light, which is, so the name Lucifer is not in the Bible, as we'll get to, but people have assigned the name Lucifer to this being because it means light bringer or light bearer, um, because he, he is described as an angel of light. He was the most beautiful part of creation, according to one Bible passage that is probably about him. We're going to get to that. And one day, this being decided to stage a coup and take God's throne. So the one third of the angels that were on his praise and worship team followed him, and they waged war on God and on the other two thirds of the angels, but they lost. 
God creates Lucifer and he's just got to do songs about God all day and night. Right. He can't have like a side project that's more of an (laughs) alternative or like a pop punk kind of thing. I mean, it's Satan. If he's got a side project, it's got to be like Vaporwave or something, right? (laughs) (laughs) But but this this being, um, Lucifer, committed this sin of pride by thinking, hey, why is this guy getting all the attention and praise? I'm as cool as he is. I should be in charge. But God didn't like that because God doesn't like uh, when people try to overthrow his power with a a coup. He is a jealous God. He did say that many times. Exactly. And pride is a cardinal sin. So God responded to this by throwing Lucifer from heaven and casting him out. And the God also cast out all of the one third of the angels that were on his team or fought for Lucifer in that war. So Lucifer eventually became known as Satan or the devil or any of the other 12 names that I listed at the beginning of this episode. And those fallen angels that were cast out with him became known as demons. In the Garden of Eden, it is presumed that Lucifer was the snake that spoke to Eve and tempted her to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It is also presumed that Lucifer is still in this rivalry with God, like he's still big mad about getting kicked out of heaven. And his end game is to keep as many people as possible from knowing and following God. For people who do subscribe to Revelation as not only real but also prophetic of things that have not yet happened, Lucifer's end game is try to get as many souls as he can and try to keep as many people as possible from becoming Christians, getting saved, going to heaven, so that he will have a larger army for the end of all things when he will try once again to fight God. Uh, But Revelation says that God will win, and then Lucifer will get thrown into a pit for all eternity. Honestly, dude, that sounds pretty epic to me. Listen, there is a reason that Armageddon or Apocalypse are used in, in, in big showdowns in movies, and there's a reason that people get really behind the literal belief in the book of Revelation. There's a reason that people hold on to this literal belief in Revelation really tightly, even though there are a lot of reasons to think that Revelation is an allegory for something completely different from the end of the world, um, like something political that was happening in the current time of John of Patmos. I mean, personally, I think it's a prophecy, but I think all the things that it prophesied were over within like a hundred years of the death of John of Patmos. But that's just like, that's where my brain is at the moment. I have not set an official opinion on that. We're going to have to do an episode all about that at some We're point. Gonna have to, is, yeah. I cannot put that in one episode. There's, I, I, Anyway, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I don't know how I'm going to do it. I've never read Revelation, so I don't know. Um, <laughs> we'll just do it as a media review. I'll just have you read it. <laughs> so then react. dragons here? They, oh, this is, they show up way sooner than they do in Game of Thrones. So like, how we should do this episode is you should just read the book of Revelation to me on air and then I will input with the, oh yeah, that dragon, that's actually meant to represent the Catholic Church and the seven hills of Rome and the ten horns are the kings of this te- these ten countries. Mm. <laughs> and then you get to the part about the, the beast and I'll be like, okay, so the reason that people thought Obama was the Antichrist is this, 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 this. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just do that. That's how we're going to write the Revelation episodes. I'll just, <laughs> that might be the best way to get them done. Just off the cuff, man. All off the cuff. I, you would not believe the, the, the time I have invested into studying the book of Revelation. Oh, I believe it. I believe Only it. You were hell grow- into this. Yeah. Only, yeah. That was like one of my major special interests as a child before I got into the Kennedy assassination. <laughs> Wouldn't let you make prophecies though, man. That's a- But I couldn't a, prophesy, right? Anyway. Uh, bummer. 
the reason that people love this revelation doctrine and will hold on to it really hard, I think, is that it predicts it predicts all kind of horrible persecution and death and bad things happening to Christians and bad things happen to everybody. So when you're a Christian and you believe this and bad things happen to you, you're like, oh, yep, prophesied in the Bible and it makes you feel better. And then it also predicts the eventual death of all enemies of God and a massive battle bigger than the end of every Avengers movie put together while Jesus rides down from heaven on a white horse and all of us Christians are on white horses behind him, but we don't even have to fight. We just get to ride the pretty white horses and Jesus just decimates everyone and everything and Christians get to take over the world forever. It sounds really nice. And I think that there's a very obvious reason why Christians really want to make Revelation work and be real. If that was a movie, I would go see that movie. I'm a be. I'm gonna be honest. The like. Oh no, for sure. Of, I'm picturing like end of Avengers Endgame here, except like twenty times bigger. Well, everyone who's ever lived and everyone who's ever died are involved in this war. So yeah, it's pretty big. I, I want to hop back to something that you were talking about a little bit earlier because there was a bunch of times when you said, "Oh, like it is presumed that this, or in Christian tradition, this is what we say." So this stuff about Satan, it's not 100% based in scripture, or am I getting that wrong? So like when I said it's presumed that Satan was the snake who spoke to Eve in the Garden of Eden. Exactly. Here's the thing. The idea of Satan, a demigod-like figure who is the direct enemy of God, the direct opposite of God, at enmity with God and actively fighting against God and God's purposes, that is present in the scriptures. Hmm. I'm not denying that. There are a, so there are some scriptures that are pretty clear who they're talking about. There are other scriptures that people think are probably referring to Satan, but the scripture doesn't spell it out. Think of it like the biblical equivalent of subtweeting somebody. Oh. Yeah, and then like Christians are like, "Oh yeah, that's definitely about Satan." But it's like you don't know that. Like it probably is, but so it, it kind of obscures the context of the scripture or makes it there is room to say oh but are okay is that really about satan or could that be something different oh so it's like the stinger at at the end of like an avengers movie where you have like somebody that shows up and they're trying to figure out who it is right and you're like pretty sure you know who it is but it definitely could be a twist ending and all of the comic book nerds are like, oh, that must be this guy because in this comic book, it was this. And- so I want to read you Genesis 3 verses 1 through 5, because this is the first place that probably is talking about Satan. Uh, this is this Bible passage occurs after the creation. Uh, God had put the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden, and he told Adam and Eve not to eat the fruit from it. And I'm switching translations for podcast purposes. Uh, I'm reading from the Revised Standard Version. If you want to know why, you can check my TikTok and I will make an episode about it eventually. I'm real salty about the ESV right now. That's all I have to say. <laughs> so Genesis um, Genesis 3 verses 1 through 5. Now the serpent was more subtle than any other wild creature that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so in Christian tradition, the serpent is Satan. Exactly. In tradition. Mm. You'll notice that the scripture there doesn't identify the the snake as Satan, 
It's widely believed that Satan inhabited the snake or took on the form of a snake in order to tempt Eve to eat the fruit. So is this like a a sort of like a retcon thing? I mean, I don't think so because it's... It's more of like, did the original author intend that to be an obvious depiction of Satan? Like, did the original author, whether you're saying the original author Moses or the original author God, did the original author think that would be obvious to everybody? That that was obviously Satan? Or was the original author like, no, I didn't mean that. It's a snake. Well, does anybody show up later, like does Satan show up later and is like, ha, look at me, I'm back. And they're just like, it was you in the garden. He's like, yes, it was. Let me tell you about that. The thing is that Satan as a character, specifically, it was the devil, doesn't show up very much in the Old Testament. No. There are plenty of passages that seem to allude to Satan or are most likely about Satan only in the book of Job. From from what I researched for this, and I may be missing something, but the, the book of Job has the clearest depiction of Satan as a actual Bible character. I'll get to that. Later in the chapter of Genesis 3.15, though, or Genesis uh, chapter 3 in verse 15, God curses the serpent for corrupting the humans. Now, God also curses Eve for her sin, and that's the basis for a lot of Christian patriarchy and misogyny, but that now is not the time. The curse on the serpent goes on for several verses, and I'm only going to read verse 15, which says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And this is taken as the first messianic prophecy. If you see the serpent as being the equivalent or the embodiment of Satan, the prophecy is that the seed of the woman will be non-mortally wounded, a bruised heel by Satan, but that Satan will be mortally wounded, a crushed head by the seed of the woman. Now, if you think back to the Bill Gothard definition of seed, you might notice that, that cis women don't typically have seed. So that's yeah. taken as a prophecy. The seed of woman, that's that's referring to a virgin-born man who will oh. one day defeat Satan forever. In Christian oh. tradition, obviously, Jesus. This prophecy is repeated in the Psalms, and it's referenced elsewhere in Scripture. And this is a mainstream belief? Like, this prophecy? Yes. Okay, so it's not just IFB. No, this is 100% mainstream Christianity. It's called the Proto-Evangelium. I think I'm saying that right. <laughs> Meaning the first gospel. Because this is the first time that the idea of sin and the need for redemption and the prediction of a redemptive savior shows up. Do you know the song Hark the Herald Angels Sing? Glory to the newborn king. Good song. Have you ever heard the fourth verse? I don't think so. These lyrics were written by uber famous father of Methodism, Charles Wesley, in the late 1700s. But this is the the, the little heard last verse to Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Come desire of nations, come fix in us thy humble home. Rise the woman's conquering seed, bruise in us the serpent's head. Adam's likeness now efface, stamp thine image in its place. Final Adam from above, reinstate us in thy love. Hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I I definitely haven't heard that verse before. Yeah, uh, few people have, which is a shame because it's actually very nice poetry. It's very well written. It's Well, Charles Wesley. Um, Gosh, like what a writer. Anyway, um, you'll find references like this. Now that you're looking for it, this is going to be one of those things that you see and text me about. Hmm. There, there are references to the the proto-evangelium and, and the idea of the, the seed of woman and the, the prophecy of he, he will bruise, you, you will bruise his heel, but he will bruise your head. That's 
that's everywhere. And I, I believe there are references on a lot of poetic works. The first one that comes to mind is Paradise Lost, but I'm sure there are more that aren't coming into my mind at the moment. Right, and I hope our Christian listeners don't mind if I mildly cast some aspersions on this prophecy because it, it just feels a little bit like a stretch to me. You know what I'm saying? It like If you told me that the bruise on the head and the heel was analogous to, oh, well, the he the the head is the crown of thorns from Jesus, and the stake going through his foot is when they that's the heel bruise from when they nailed him up. That's him taking away the sins, and those are the bruises. I would say that would make a bit more sense. So, from what I'm reading, some Jewish scholars do think that it's a messianic prophecy, but they obviously wouldn't see Jesus as the fulfillment. No, but. Just as you predicted in your last sentence, this leads to Christians going to all sorts of places to try to prove that Jesus was injured specifically on the heel during the crucifixion. I mean, they, what they made him carry a big heavy cross across town, and he was he was barefoot, right? Or was he wearing sandals? Doesn't matter. He's still probably like I mean, they scourged him pretty badly. I think it's I don't fair. Think to, it's mentioned in scripture. Well, it's I think it's fair. No, to assume no, that, it is yeah. because the Romans. I'm sorry, you asked me a Bible question. <laughs> the Romans. <laughs> The Romans took bets on his tunic. I believe they also like threw dice for his sandals. Mm. See, this this is the problem with deconstruction. I don't know the fine points of scripture anymore. You're not going to be happy until you look it up. <laughs> it bothers me because I used to know that. No, but like the, if if you said, oh, well, you know, it's he injured his feet when he had to drag the cross across town. I'm like, you know what? I'll give it to you. That makes sense. We'll have to go back and watch the movie, the Mel Gibson movie. Well, uh, oh. yeah, we'll have to go. <laughs> I mean, it's <laughs> fine with me. I watched it while I was super pregnant and I was fine. I did not like that movie. I have a pretty, I have a pretty strong stomach. Um, this Genesis 3, chapter 3, is the first place that Satan maybe probably shows up in scripture. There are a lot of Old Testament references to the serpent or the snake. Uh, there are a few Old Testament references to Satan as in the original Hebrew manuscripts, it was written as the name Satan. Satan is a Hebrew word that means adversary or the adversary. So an example would be First Chronicles 21 verse 1, the quote, Satan stood up against Israel. The literal translation would be an adversary stood up against Israel. So we're going to get into talking about that in just a little bit. The tie-in for believing that the tie-in for believing that the serpent in the Garden of Eden is Satan, the character, the devil, the fallen angel, the Lucifer guy. That tie-in comes from the Book of Revelation. Now it's crazy to me to realize that there isn't an origin story for Satan until the very last book in the Christian canon. Hmm. That that was weird to me. And it's also the book that I personally am the, am the most suspicious of not being literal. It's 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 kind of bent my brain. I'm not going to make a conclusion on that in this episode or the next one, but it it's given me a lot to think about. So what does Revelation say? Cuz this is the book. This has got all the juice on Satan. This got yeah, Revelation's got so much Satan. So I would have to read the whole chapter to get the full context. I don't have time in this episode. The chapter is Revelation chapter 12. But this is I think it reads like an allegory of when Jesus was born and Herod heard of a revolution arising among the residents of Judea, and then he had all the Jewish baby boys killed because there was a rumor that the Messiah had just been born, and Mary and Joseph had to, it's called the slaughter of the innocents, um, Mary and Joseph had to hide Jesus in Egypt for a few years. I think that's what the whole chapter may be referencing, just from having read over it a couple times. 
But embedded in that chapter is Satan's origin story. So I'm going to read you verses 7, 8, and 9. And this is what I just talked about, about him being cast out from heaven. But pay attention to the wording. Now war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they were defeated, and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth and his angels were thrown down with him. So if you believe revelations to be literal, then that's, I mean, that's pretty epic stuff. No lie. That's, I mean, that's. Yeah. And it also references the ancient serpent, the deceiver, the, the Satan or the, the serpent in Eden deceived Eve. Hmm. So it is clearly that passage in revelation is definitely equating Satan, the devil to the serpent. Interest. Oh wow. Okay. Okay. So I, I see where so it comes from. But it's so weird because that's like that's like what does Revelation have? Twenty one or twenty two chapters. So that's like ten chapters from the end of the Bible, and it's relating to something that happened in the third chapter. So on that note, here's a question: If you are a person who sees it, who sees this book specifically as more metaphorical and less literal, does that mean that Satan being the serpent? is metaphorical and not literal or real or how does that affect that this is the accepted satan origin story across all christians who do believe in a literal satan so like catholics protestants all like orthodox most christian denominations do as a matter of canon believe in a literal satan many christian individuals have have let that slide or slip or believe in a metaphorical Satan as in like the sum of all the negative parts of human nature. Not like as Mm. this is a spirit being in the spirit world who lives in hell and was an angel. And like most Christians believe in Satan as like the concept of bad things. Some Christians believe in in Satan like as a, as a person, as a a spirit person, a character, an anti-God, a fallen angel and then other christians believe in satan as like a a metaphorical like the representation of all the worst things about us uh so if you don't believe that revelation is literal that gives you a lot more room to fall into that metaphorical explanation that's really interesting wow i because i've never heard like i I, this is this is why i get frustrated with christians who want to be like oh christianity isn't a mystic religion like like no (laughs) there's plenty of mysticism this is the first time I'm hearing about like a lot of this stuff. This is really interesting to me. Like, even if you don't believe in this stuff, literally, even if it's more of just like, this is our mythology, this is like, it's still very entertaining. It's, this bangs, man. Like, yeah. Like man. when I was a kid, this was exactly what I was hoping that my dad would preach about in church every week because you know, my, my dad is an excellent storyteller. You've met him. Oh, and yes. He made this stuff so freaking interesting. I don't doubt it. So this is the thing that like I would ask him carefully worded questions to like try to entice him into telling me more because I this was like my favorite as a kid. Man. Because like when I was a kid, what was my favorite book when I was a kid? It was Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter. Like I loved the epic fantasy, you know, the mythology. Oh, man. Yeah, and Revelation reads very much like an epic fantasy. Um, yeah. So I want to go back to Satan's origin story because it's not 
directly given in the Old Testament. I always would have thought that it was. And then when I started researching for this episode, I'm like, oh, it actually kind of isn't. The story that I just read you from Revelation supports the passage that I read you from Genesis. This passage from Ezekiel that I'm about to read you supports the one in Revelation. Hmm. So the passage in Ezekiel, it is a lamentation and a curse on someone called the King of Tyre, T-Y-R-E, in case you're trying to look this up at home. Interpretations vary as to who the King of Tyre is meant to be. It could be a contemporary king in the prophet Ezekiel's time. Most people seem to think that it's either referring to Satan or Adam. I wouldn't say that most Christians, like um, run-of-the-mill, like whatever, Protestants or Catholics, know about this particular passage or have given it much thought. But people who have interpreted this passage have influenced Christian thought about Satan. I think like your median Christian wouldn't be able to cite or quote or have ever thought about this passage, but your median Christian's beliefs have been influenced by somebody who has put a lot of thought into this passage. So this passage is talking about someone who is so proud that they thought they were wiser than God. And this person has been cursed for their pride. It's most of Ezekiel chapter 28. So again, I'm going to abridge for you and read verses 12 to 17. Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God, you were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, carnelian and topaz and jasper, chrysolite, beryl and onyx, sapphire, carbuncle and emerald. And wrought in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. With an anointed guardian cherub, I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire, you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God and the guardian cherub drove you out from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. Okay. I mean, that does support that. The- like, like that. I am. <laughs> like beat for beat. Okay. Yeah. Um, but it also, if you think about it in, in the context of who Adam was, it, I can see it as being Adam as well. But it, it does also really fit nicely with that passage in Revelation, especially other Bible passages taken into account that reference Satan or the devil as a creature of light. A created being, an angel who was proud and wanted to usurp God, got kicked out of heaven. But it doesn't name the recipient as Satan or the devil. It is just addressed to the king of Tyre. Yeah, I feel like if it was going to be Satan, then he would have said that, right? If he's like a big enough deal. Yeah, but also maybe in Ezekiel's day, everybody just called Satan the king of Tyre. That's true. Huh. Like maybe Tyre was a mythical really awful sinful place and everybody instead of saying satan they just said oh yeah the king of tyre or maybe tyre was a real like a real place and the king of tyre was a real person and something bad happened to him and he was very arrogant and this is this was all right maybe this is all maybe this is metaphorical language talking about a literal king who had something bad happen to him so my overarching point is that this character of Satan is portrayed different ways in different parts of scripture and the connections between them are fewer than you would think. Even with a like a pretty conservative interpretation, it's not 
as simple as you might think to identify God's arch nemesis in the Bible. I do think that the Revelation passage is the clear tie making the equivalency between the serpent equals Satan probably also equals King of Tyre. If you don't have that Revelation passage, there is no connection between the King of Tyre passage and the serpent passage, and there's no specific reason to say that the serpent is definitely Satan, not just a really bad snake. The only place that Satan is really clearly personified, as I mentioned earlier, is like in the way that that modern Christians understand him, like a spirit who presents himself in pseudo-human form, like God is a spirit that presents himself in pseudo-human form. The only place that we see that depiction of Satan in the Old Testament is in the book of Job. In Job, there's a righteous man, Job, and Satan, the, the literal, the adversary, the Hebrew word Satan, meaning the adversary, shows up at heaven's business meeting. God brings up Job and he says, now there's a good guy. And Satan says, eh, he's only righteous because he's been very blessed. If you hurt him, he would deny you. So God gives Satan permission first to take any possession of Job's and to harm his children and servants as well. So Satan does so. He takes every his his livestock got stolen and burned and killed and his children were all in a house. He had Job had ten children, they were all in a house eating together, and a whirlwind came and knocked down the house and all ten of them died. But Job remained faithful to God. So the next time that heaven was having a business meeting, Satan, the adversary, shows up at heaven's business meeting and says, well, Job's only remained faithful to you because you let him keep his health. If you took his health away in addition to all of his wealth and all of his family members except for his wife, then he would deny you. And God said, okay, let's find out and gives Satan permission to afflict Job's health as well. In the end, Job does not turn away from God. So Satan's plan is foiled and God restores the things that Job lost. But the Satan personified in Job, his actions line up with the Christian, like the modern Christian idea of Satan. He's here to tempt you. He's here to try to get you to deny God. He's aggressive. He's adversarial. But his personification and his demeanor don't quite line up for me. Number one, this Satan adversary in Job is just allowed to walk into heaven and seems to have this very casual relationship with God. It just has a different vibe from this idea of Satan as the very powerful, threatening, scary, evil, mystical character that that modern Christians seem to ascribe to him. Well, maybe you can go to heaven under like a flag of truce. You know, like say you're fighting a war, you need to meet with your enemy, uh, negotiate terms. You got to be assured that they're not going to assassinate you at the meeting. That's kind of how the Christians portray this ability of Satan to come before God and advocate against people. But I'm wondering if it maybe has something to do with the Jewish view of Satan and who or what that is. In Judaism, Satan, he he does not hold the place for us that he does for Christians. Because for you guys, he's the big bad. He's trying to get people to go to hell so that he can torture them forever. Like, And I want to bring up something earlier that you said, which is that Satan translated literally means the adversary. So the whole point is that he's the adversary. Like, Think of it like this. Say you are a king. Say you are a president. Say you're a leader. You've got a council of advisors, you know, people who are telling you what to do 
or you know what you they think you should do but ultimately the decision is up to you people whose job it is to help you make the right decision or to give you suggestions if you're a bad leader you're going to fill your council with sycophants with yes men people who are going to tell you that your plans and your ideas are brilliant if you're a wise king as we presume god is you're going to have somebody in there who you respect but you know has a different view or a different perspective so that you can come up with a plan. That person is very smart and they're going to try to poke holes in it to see if your plan can hold up to scrutiny. And basically <laughs> Satan is there to prevent God from falling victim to groupthink ish. I don't know. That's, mm. that's maybe a bit of like a liberal uh, interpretation of it. That seems like, like a liberal and a very casual interpretation just from your tone. Yeah. But it doesn't seem... Like, it doesn't seem like you're misrepresenting from the little bit that I read about this. No. Which is interesting because in the Christian, the Christian view, Christians cannot stand the idea of God being anything other than absolute perfection. And that goes back to our, like you, I think the Jewish view is that God cannot be anything but just. The Christian view is more God cannot be anything but perfect. Hmm. It goes, it's our, it's our salvation theology. Right. And we don't have the same salvation thing. Because because perfection is what is necessary to face God. So you must uh, be perfect to go to heaven. No human is perfect. You can only become perfect through uh, the application of the payment of your penalty by the death of Jesus. And then all of Christianity is how do you apply that payment? Interesting. Like we all disagree on how you apply the payment. But it's all the same concept of like... God accepts nothing less than perfection, and this is the only way to attain perfection. It's just like an absolutely different philosophy. I mean, but that's sort of the so point, it doesn't right? sound yeah. like yeah. So they that's so it sounds like you don't have the concept of Satan being evil, like you know, evil, like not the way that we do. Well, I mean, that's sort of the point, isn't it? Like, so if you look at the book of Job, right, Satan goes to God and says, this man only praises you because you made his life amazing. Will he forsake you if you totally f*** his life up? Let's find out. You know, and in this case, yeah, Satan wants to lead people astray, but it's not like a, let me lead people astray so that I get his soul for eternity and then I can torture him and then use him in my epic battle against you. Like, would would God be like, yeah, here's this guy, uh, you can torture him as much as you want and then use him against it like no god's well, the, not gonna the, let that happen the, the christian view is that like oh it uh, like i'm god and it will glorify me if he's faithful but what this sounds like mm. to me with the jewish view of satan it sounds like how a plane okay a plane needs lift and thrust to fly but flight cannot happen without drag and weight these forces <sighs> drag and gravity that seem like they want to prevent flight are actually necessary for a plane to take off that's interesting. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting metaphor. I'll have to think about that before I get back. To I don't. I mean, my metaphors are never one hundred percent accurate. I give good metaphors, not accurate ones. If we have any rabbis listening and we're getting this totally wrong, oh God, please I hope let not. Me know. Yeah. So in in Jewish thought, hmm. is there a concept of Satan personally f-ing with people, like? Satan walk being like doing his Satan duties and wakes up in the morning is like you know. I should go to Gavriel's house and I don't know, I should do something to try to get him to sin. Um, I should try to trick him from following the right path. 
eh, you know, maybe I'll just drop a flower pot on his head to, so I, you know, give him a bump on the head while I'm at it. Because I just love hurting humans. Yeah. Is that like, is there that concept? I think we're more concerned about God personally f***ing with people. Okay, I'm not sure how much time we have, but I de- desperately do need to hear about this. So, you know what? I'm going to sum it up with a 20-second clip from Fiddler on the Roof. Please, I am I am very interested in how you're going to explain this concept. Dear God, did you have to send me news like that today of all days? I know, I know we are the chosen people. But once in a while, can't you choose someone else? (laughs) Ah, what do you think of that? Okay, okay, I get it. Because Tevye is coming off like very accusatory towards God. That's not forbidden in the Christian, like in Christianity. But from the IFB perspective, People talking to God like that is only allowed in extreme circumstances and only for people who are very godly. So, like, your pastor could get away with that, but, like, a regular church person probably shouldn't. I think this is a very strong uh, cultural difference here, right? Because Christianity, in many ways, I think more so than Judaism, is focused on being obedient, being meek, being mild. Um, all of the words that you know they use to describe Jesus in the Christmas songs, you, you know, I'm, I'm not wrong about that, right? Right, and it's 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 compliance. It's it, the compliance is a concept in, in cultural Christianity, and it's just how severely does your denomination or your personal methods of thought require you to hold to that doctrine or that teaching? How do you interpret it? And are you comfortable with the level at which it's being demanded of you? But in Judaism, think about this. Abraham, you know, the patriarch, the prophet, one of our most venerated figures, he argued with God straight up. He negotiated with God. And mind you, this is like chapters prior to the binding of Isaac. So this is before Abraham had like fully proven his loyalty and fully proven his devotion. I'm talking like, you remember in Sodom and Gomorrah when Abraham, when God was like, yeah, I'm going to like this village is full of just like crazy people. They got to go. And Abraham's like, my nephew lives there. Like, (laughs) yeah. But if I can find a hundred righteous, will you let, will you spare the city? And God said, yes. And then Abraham comes back the next day and he's like, okay, if I can find 50 righteous and God's like, yeah, I'll spare the city for 50. And then the next day, Abraham's like, okay, listen, listen, if I can find 10, if I can get 10. (laughs) There is this one guy, like you, like you got to help him out. Like he's in there. He's my nephew. Don't kill him, please. And God's like, okay, your nephew, <laughs> but everybody else. Right. That, um, <sighs> this reminds me. Okay. So I'm going to reference a different story. When Jacob wrestled with the angel, we were always taught that he was exhibiting the sin of rebellion. And that's why he got punished by having his hip out of joint for the rest of his life. Really? But I'm guessing, yeah, I'm oh. guessing that's not the interpretation you heard. No. Inter- I, I, what? That, I... Yeah, that's he. He was huh. being rebellious. He was exhibiting rebellion. So, without the motivation of like, I want to torture people that God loves forever. God loves all humans. I want to torture humans forever to get back at God for what He did to me when He kicked me out of heaven. Without that motivation, it sounds like the Satan that you're left with is more of a 
mischievous and sometimes evil counterpoint to the order and goodness of God. So one thing I want to say here is that there isn't like one Jewish interpretation for any of this stuff. For anything. No. <laughs> Dear God, no, because there's like, I mean, what's the saying is is two Jews, a hundred opinions. Like, I mean, one thing uh, yeah, I want, I've heard yeah. every version of that say. I mean, there's a lot of interpretations of this. I mean, a lot of it, it's based on which movement you belong to, what your own rabbi says. There's centuries of Jewish texts going back and forth on like all of these issues, many of which make strong points in different directions. For example, do you, uh, Sadie, have you heard of Maimonides? You uh, heard that name? From, yes, from uh meme makers on instagram yeah but yes i i like i know that this is some kind of famous jewish law person so maimonides is probably the most influential jewish scholar in history and he wrote that the entire book of job is probably just a fictional parable or at least probably the section in which god and satan are talking to each other so like who knows well i so i did run across that interpretation when I was researching for this episode, um, that Job was a morality tale. Yeah. Because the 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 wisdom of it is contained in the speeches that Job's friends give to him and then the speeches that he gives back. Like it, it, it's a morality tale intended to illustrate why God thinks well why God allows bad things to happen to good people. But that's just that's just one kind of guess at it. Because the Christian thought that's evolved is that Satan is filled with hate and venom and anger at God for kicking him out of heaven. And he knows that God is going to win over him in the end. So he spends all his time primarily trying to keep people from getting saved so that they will be in hell with him for eternity. So he tricks people who are not saved to prevent them from getting saved. And he oppresses Christians who have the potential to witness to other people and get them to get saved to make sure that they don't serve God to further prevent other people from getting saved. This feels like a bit of a sidebar needs. Um, maybe I think it needs its own episode. One observation that I've had though, is that some Christian denominations, not all, um, some of them. And like in some Christian theology, if you'll excuse the phrase, they seem hell bent on. Yeah. I, you see what I did there on, Good job. Being part of this eternal and ongoing war between the forces of good and the forces of evil, you know, like, and I guess it, so mm -hmm. if this is the type of thing that motivates you to try to be a good person, then like, that's nice. That's a good thing to do. But like bringing children up to believe that they are like soldiers fighting in an eternal and ongoing war. I mean, and if they take, if you take your foot off the gas for one moment, then the bad guys are going to like swoop in, possibly win, seize on your weakness. I mean, that's got to be terrible for your psyche. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that I'm evidence that it's not great. Yeah, well, that's what they told you. That's what you were yeah. talking about. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. The, the pressure, it's a lot. So here's a question that I've got. I got to move on from that. Uh, is that if Satan was originally an angel, why do we see him depicted as a man with bright red skin, goat's legs, lizard tail, ram's horns, pitchfork, goatee? So this is fun. Uh, apparently, this visual image comes from a mix of Revelation and Greek mythology hmm. with a little sprinkle of Disney just for fun. Really? Yeah. So, so, it's so like specifically, <laughs> um, it's, it's a mix of things and it's evolved over time. But the image that we have right now is pretty recent. 
Like 20th century? I would say late 19th. Um, wow. but it's evolved. But like also like parts what? there are things that have been added by Disney. Let me let me get into it. So the horns and the tail are from the descriptions of dragons in Revelation. The cloven hoof and the pitchfork are from Pan and Hades and or Poseidon, both of whom had pitchforks. Uh, and the association the association with the color red, it is not solely because of Disney animations of devils, but that's part of it. The other part of the reason is that red was associated with the devil through medieval morality plays, where, like, if you know anything about morality plays, they were very black and white, and the coding in, like, who is who in the costumes was very pat. Red was the color used to signify the devil in medieval morality plays, and then Disney picked up on it and repopularized it. Really? Wow. So, yeah, so, so like, specifically because cause you, you might see the devil as, like, a human-shaped person that has hoofs and a tail, or you might see him portrayed more like a centaur, and those things change over time, but that's where the, the components are pretty old. So this description of the devil, it's based heavily on Greek mythology, though. Yeah, um, <gasps> Greek mythology, wow. Roman mythology, medieval stuff, which was just wild, um... Now in the IFB, I was informed that I was informed that this is incorrect, and that if I ever met the devil, he would appear as a tall, attractive man. So if you meet a guy and he's short and ugly, you're in the clear. Yep. <laughs> so, so because I've been digging into this for this episode, I've realized that a lot more of what is considered basic Christian information about Satan comes from the New Testament. In the New Testament, there's of course there's everything that we talked about from Revelation which is set up as a highly mystical superhero movie with God as a superhero and Satan as the very powerful antagonist. But there are a lot of places in the New Testament that the early church is warned in very strong terms about Satan personally coming to fuck with them. You've got the depiction of Satan as a roaring lion who roams the earth seeking vulnerable people to prey on. You have the depiction of Satan wants to sift you like wheat. Satan wants to break apart your moral character and turn you into dust in a moral sense. And it seems like I just, there was so much to research for this episode. I did not get a full picture, but I'll link some articles that were interesting in my source post, because it looks like to me that there was a shift during what Christians call the silent period between the old Testament's conclusion and the beginning of the gospels in the new Testament towards seeing Satan as evil and threatening. Some of the articles I looked at suggested that this was a shift in popular Jewish thought at the time, but a temporary shift. Jewish thought corrected itself back towards center, back towards what it had been before. But right at the time that popular Judaism was shifting a little bit more towards this personal evil, evil threatening Satan, uh, Christian Christianity was just taking off and most Christians were either were either Jews or or influenced by Judaism because that was the religion huh. in the area at the time. So they took this idea of the devil and ran with it while Judaism switched back, like shifted back to where it originally was. Why do you think that is? Like, wh- why did that happen? So this is my totally unfounded opinion. But if you think about early Christians, a lot of them were coming from Judaism and converting to Christianity or coming from a Greek background, and they are taking both um, both 
Jews and Gentiles who were becoming Christians were taking the themes that they were familiar with and reworking them to add in Jesus and adding the new themes of Christianity influenced by Paul. Paul was educated by the standards of the day, and Paul was in this unique position where he was, I believe he was Jewish by blood, but had been raised in mostly Greek culture, but had also been educated mm. in like Jewish school. So Paul had the both had had both sides, and he was influencing people to act, like to take their old traditions and add in Christianity. One of the big things that got added in was the concept of sin and redemption in the Christian sense, by which I mean Jesus had to die so that you personally could be saved because you personally have sinned and you need to avoid hell and attain heaven. And Jesus is your pathway to that. Well, every good story needs a bad guy. And this idea of the devil as an anti-God was popular in Jewish thought at the time, just temporarily. And the idea Mm. of evil demigods was very present in Greek and Roman mythology. So all the pieces fit to have the devil as basically this supervillain type character. The Lex Luthor to Jesus is Superman or the Joker to Jesus is Batman. And then you add in the focus on personal sins and personal punishment and the Jesus had to die for you bit. And it's really convenient to have someone to blame for the sins that you did. Even Adam did it. When God asked, why did you eat the fruit that I told you not to eat? Adam said, well, the serpent told us to do it. And then he blamed it on the snake. And then when that didn't help, he went straight to, well, the woman that you gave me, (laughs) he blamed his wife. I think it's human nature, number one, to want a great supervillain to hate. And I think it's human nature to want someone to blame when we up. And the concept of the devil provides both of those things. But that's just, that's just like, that's just what I see. I have no idea. (laughs) That's really insightful. Uh, Thank you. I, I, You know, you know, Gabi, I have studied Christianity more since deconstructing. (laughs) I know so much more. I had like so much, so many more thoughts in my brain about Christianity now than I did 10 or 15 years ago. Well, I mean, you were so immersed in it, but you were like, I mean, you were missing the forest for the trees. I am. I really enjoy making that kind of connections and not having to be attached to I'm right about this. But just being like, mm. ju- but just looking at context and starting to form opinions of my own. It was hard to figure out how to do that, but I'm enjoying it. That's why I love our conversations, man. Because like you, you always have something interesting to say. Do you, okay, here's a question. Do you remember our, our dinosaur episode where I talked about dragons and why like different cultures have dragons and stuff? Yeah. I'm, I, I'm wondering if, you know, maybe this depiction as... <sighs> like uh, the snake as like or, or like a fell beast you know the, the like evil personified in that because that's something that like evolutionary like i was mm-hmm. saying with the monkeys being afraid of snakes you remember that yeah oh right because of you know, like the disgust factor of why we're afraid of snakes yes that is also incredibly interesting anyway do you want to go to bre- let's go to break and then we'll come back and then we'll talk about satanic panic okay that sounds great Uh, I think we've set up the background in case any of our listeners had literally never heard of the devil before. Let's get to the juicy (laughs) stuff. 
Hey, Sadie here. If this is your first time listening to the Leaving Eden podcast, make sure you go back and check out episode 57. It's a primer episode for new listeners. That episode tells my personal story and gives you all the terms and information that you'll need to know going forward. Also, check out our cult true crime series, The First Family of Fundamentalism, so that you can get the whole cult story. If you like our show, you can support us by joining our Patreon, where we have extended and uncensored episodes, as well as other bonus content available. You can also join in the discussion in our Facebook group, that group is called Eden Exodus. Tell a friend, tell a family member, tell your worst enemy. The Leaving Eden podcast is a fully independent podcast, and we really appreciate your support. Now, back to the show. We are back. Sadie is talking to us, giving us the whole rundown on the devil, Satan, the prince of darkness. We're going to talk about the satanic panic, which is something she knows a lot about. I know very little about. This is so fun. Then uh, this is this is going to be pretty snappy because i've got a lot to cover so let's try to this y'all try to stick with me here all right satanic panic let's go i'm stretching let's do it so christianity through the middle ages had a comedic view towards the devil i mentioned medieval morality plays and in those plays and in the culture at the time the devil was seen as a bit of a buffoon he was the jester he was the comic relief Hmm. so from that point in history Highly religious people, including monks, wanted to bring back the devil as not a humorous caricature, but as a real and dangerous force. So through the late Middle Ages and Renaissance, all the way through the centuries, this idea of the devil as, no, he's actually evil and very scary, started to build. And it seems to me that as Christianity evolved, some local legends and folktales may have gotten incorporated or if not incorporated, at least correlated with the devil. This is, an, this is another one of my opinions, but I'm thinking of Black Peter, for example, in the Dutch Father Christmas tradition. I don't know which one is the chicken and which one is the egg. And this was another thing I didn't have time to deep dive into for this episode, but Black Peter and the devil are definitely correlated. So I think that his, his legend was kind of getting added to over time. So when did the devil get to be like the figure that we see him today, like in media? Actually, I think it had a lot to do with the screw tape letters by C.S. Lewis. Have that you heard recently? That? Really? I think like I think there have been several major shifts in how the devil was seen, and I think that's the most recent shift that brings us to where we are right now. So you've mentioned the screw tape letters before. I'm yeah. not familiar. Okay, so just so everybody who didn't take a Becca English is on the same page. The Screwtape Letters is a book written by C.S. Lewis. It was written from the perspective of a demon who was doing the devil's work on earth. So trying to get people to sin and lead people astray. It's in the form of letters from the worker demon back to his boss, the devil. And it was and still is extremely popular. I'll give it this. It is one of the more entertaining pieces of moralistic literature that I've read. It's not a bad read. It's funny and it's insightful. Like, it's fun. C.S. Lewis, man, wrote Chronicles of Narnia. Yeah. Great children's literature. Guy can write. So if you backed up a few hundred years before, both America and England had what they call Great Awakenings, where preachers like Jonathan Edwards preached famous sermons like Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, where they made the fear of a literal hell very real to people and brought about a new wave of devout Christianity in both America and England, and a new awareness of 
not just I want to go to heaven, but I am afraid of hell and I want to avoid hell. So that is the, that's the setup. <clears throat> and then late, late uh, 19th, early 20th century, you have C.S. Lewis writing in England. You have the preacher Billy Sunday, who was an extremely popular evangelist in America, very much in the vein of those Great Awakening evangelists. Billy Sunday is going to get his own episode. He was all about hell, and he also was a big part of bringing about prohibition, which is interesting. And then he was also a major influence on Jack Hiles. But that's another subject for another day. Also in the early 20th, 20th century, you have the publication of the fundamentals and the rise of Christian fundamentalism in general. We've covered all of that in depth. So I think that, yeah, like, yeah, there was a shift in the 1700s, the Great Awakening, but I think the most recent shift is maybe early 20th century in how we see the devil. So by mid-century, things are... In, in culture are starting to shift though, but we've, we've got civil rights movement. We've got rock and roll. We've got li- women's lib movement. Um, we've got the beginning of the gay rights movement um, in the 1960s. But a lot of this stuff is starting out in the fifties and continuing on for like a quarter of a century. Yeah. And that made people nervous and they were like, why is everything changing all of a sudden? You know what else happened in the 50s, though, that may have seriously contributed to the satanic panic and the way that it played out in an unexpected way? What's that? Okay, so this blew my mind. McCarthyism. That makes so much sense, though. Because it was a witch hunt. Who's a communist? Is your neighbor a Russian deep cover spy? There are things going on all around you that you don't know about, and you should be scared. And also, like, the Soviet Union, officially non-religious, communism is seen as especially godless. So this prepped Americans to be ready for another witch hunt for the unseen evil lurking behind a white picket fence near you, which, in the 1980s, was satanic ritual abuse. So what is satanic ritual abuse? Like, I've heard you say this phrase many, many, many times. I had, like, I've literally never heard about satanic ritual abuse until I met you and we started doing this podcast. That's like the gulf of. That is, that is just so incredible to me. Yeah. Um, okay. Before I get into this, uh, there is a content warning for literally any kind of child abuse that you can possibly imagine. We're going to reference back to the Joan Evangeline Combs episode. We don't get especially graphic. Um we're, we're going to like very briefly mention things in Passover. We're not going to do like the super gruesome details on anything. If you want those, you can look them up. So general CW, nothing too intense in this section. Let me set up this satanic ritual abuse thing, though. The whole thing started because of a book that was published in 1980 called Michelle Remembers. Michelle Remembers is a book written by Michelle Smith and her psychiatrist, Lawrence Pad- Padsler, who she later married... <laughs> Which is the first big red flag. She married her psychiatrist. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, He started treating her in 1973, and then they ended up getting married in the 1980s. Mm. Yeah. Big red flag number one (laughs) of many. (sighs) And it it gets approximately one million times worse. So buckle up. That's so weird. Oh, it's it's going to get weird. (laughs) Okay. So creepy. So Michelle had emotional regulation issues, very 
typical for what you might imagine a severely traumatized person might have. Um, Not too different from what many of us who came out of the IFB have. But she couldn't remember really any serious trauma. So Padsler, the psychiatrist, put her under hypnosis. And when he put her under hypnosis, she regressed mentally to five years old and began to speak with the voice of a child. And she started to tell him story after story after story of just horrific, evil, extreme, stomach-turning Joe and Evangeline Combs-level child abuse. Wait, so he put this woman under hypnosis and then later married her? Yes, I told you it got worse. <laughs> okay, I, I have to move on from that because that's always going to bother me. But So she comes out with these abuse stories. What? So what makes them satanic? Well, they were satanic because, according to her story, she was abused by a secret satanic cult called the Church of Satan in Victoria, British Columbia. She said that they... What can I say without being hella triggering? She said that they tortured her, sexually assaulted her, sacrificed infants and animals, and rubbed her with the blood of the things that they sacrificed. Um, Some people cut off their own fingers to summon demons and worship Satan, and then they held her eventually for an 81-day extended ritual in which she was sexually assaulted multiple times and had all of these other horrible things done to her as well. So they, people are cutting off their own fingers. Yeah. What? Um, Wait, hold. There was a man who. There's so many things here. (laughs) According to her, there was one of the Satan worshippers cut off his middle finger as a sacrifice to Satan. This will this will come back next week. So just put that in your in your um. I was gonna say mental relodex because I've been reading lovingly abused, but that's not the (laughs) that's not the phrase. Put put that in your uh, save folder for next week. So Michelle said that at the end of the 81-day ritual, she was rescued by Jesus the Virgin Mary and Michael the Archangel, and that the Jesus Avengers <laughs> removed all the scars that she had gathered during mm. about one to two years of being unspeakably horribly abused. You remember uh, yeah. Elsa Garcia and her 700 and something scars, wasn't it? Yeah, wasn't it seven hundred? I cannot remember the exact number they said she had. Wasn't it seven hundred ish? She had more scars than Jesus. That, but I don't um, remember the. Oh. But Michelle said that oh, that the Jesus Avengers took all her. Part. Huh? I said I forgot about the part with all the scars. That just made. <laughs> well, no, I don't like it. Well, Michelle, don't don't worry. This story is not nearly as credible. Michelle said that the Jesus Avengers removed all her scars that she had gathered during about a year to two years of being horrifically abused and erased her memories so that she wouldn't remember it until the world was ready to hear it. Wait, I need to, I need to go back. So they were sacrificing what they were sacrificing animals. They were sacrificing in what? Babies? Well, adults, babies, children, animals, pretty much anything with blood. Where did, where do they get babies to sacrifice? Michelle Smith in her book did not make a direct claim about that as far as I know. In the IFB, we were told that Satan worshippers would get pregnant on purpose, probably in some weird satanic sex ritual, and then have the baby off-grid so that they would have a steady supply of babies to sacrifice that wouldn't be missed. There's a lot of reasons why I do not find the story particularly plausible. Well, um, stick with me. 
So Smith and Padsler before they were married. Uh, no, maybe after they were married. Anyway, they were on Oprah. The book sold 300,000 copies. They got famous and rich off of this. And there was a bit of mass hysteria that took hold after the publication of this book. Uh, there were, in, in about 10 years, there were 12,000 reports of similar satanic ritual abuse that followed the buzz around this book. So not to disparage the good name of Oprah, but she like she does have a history of putting wackos and grifters on her show and these people starting moral panic do you remember the hearing about rainbow parties yes that is why that we weren't allowed to wear those stretchy bracelets that looked like animals to school so descriptions of satanic ritual abuse about the third thing i've ever the third worst thing i've ever read for this show and it is a real close race between the descriptions of satanic ritual abuse that i've read and the descriptions of the combs abuse and the descriptions of the josh duggar allegations they're, these are very, very close hmm. in how bad these things are. Very quickly, and I'll tell you my opinion on why I think this happened a little bit later down the road, but there, this narrative of a massive network of cultic Satan worshippers across North America doing human sacrifices, drinking blood, having like having babies so that they could sacrifice them, kidnapping people to sacrifice them, local police who were in on the, the scheme and helped to cover things up, famous people who were involved... By the way, is this starting to sound familiar? Oh. On about three levels, maybe? Oh, God. Like, this sounds like, to me, you're saying this. I'm like, this, all the alarm bells are ringing. This is medieval blood libel. They just changed the setting, man. Like, what's. So that's one thing. Like, was there any evidence that this was actually happening, though? Or was it just people reading about it and then blowing up their phone tree? You mean like people passing on unsubstantiated and unscientific rumors through Facebook posts? Yeah. God. We're going to get to that. What, what I'll say at this point in telling the story is that there were a lot of claims, as there typically are in instances of mass hysteria. And people just ate this up because it was juicy as fuck, dude. Yeah. People love some good blood libel with their coffee in the morning. Ooh, don't I know it. Well, they're coffee and cigarette, or possibly cocaine and cigarette, because let's be honest, this was the 1980s. But there were <laughs> weird sex rituals and naked <sighs> dancing in graveyards and rich anti-Christian imagery and shocking desecrations of the human body and, like, murders and and animal sacrifices. And I know I said weird sex stuff, but so much weird sex stuff, dude. So... I think this is so nuts, but I find it so funny that all, like this satanic ritual abuse, it basically gave every 80s heavy metal band all the ideas for their music videos. You know, like <laughs> every metal band like does this in their video, you know, like all these Helen Lovejoys out here. You're just going to clutch their pearls and then like, oh, won't somebody think of the children like oh look how right we were look see they're doing it on the music video on the mtv it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy you know so speaking of every metal band getting music video ideas from this another thing that came from the satanic panic was the revival of the very old concept of the black mass would you explain black mass i've oh, yeah. heard it before never actually seen it explained so a black mass a catholic mass is a thing there is a book that tells you what you have to do, what you can optionally add in, 
what color the priest is supposed to wear, depending on what time of the year it is, appropriate readings for that day in the liturgical calendar, appropriate songs for that day. It's it's a thing. A black mass is not a thing. It is a good combination of things and legends. It's an old legend to begin with from medieval times that has been revived and reworked through the centuries, and it's taken on a lot of forms as far as like the liturgy of what happens at one. There are some things that all of the forms have in common. A Black Mass is essentially a perversion or an inversion of the Catholic Mass, uh, Eucharist in particular. Receiving the Eucharist is very holy for people who believe in transubstantiation, although to everybody else, it's just a cookie. So what do the Satanists give you in place of the Eucharist? Is it an oatmeal raisin cookie that you think is chocolate chip? Oh, <laughs> I mean, that would be pretty, pretty evil. <laughs> No, definitely nothing. <laughs> Not even the devil's that evil. <laughs> <laughs> nothing so wholesome. Um, so the rumors of what happens in a black mass are extremely varied. The most common legend is that it's a complete rewrite of the Catholic mass, but intended instead of to worship God, the purpose is to summon Satan. Common rumors that you would see a lot would involve nudity, sex rituals, like sex on the altar, uh, a lot of naked women in like common rumors, either consensually sadistic or non-consensually abusive sex rituals as well. What is a lot of human blood uh, going around? What is partaken of instead of the Eucharist? There are two main directions that this legend takes. The first direction is that the Eucharist is replaced by bodily fluids, human waste, human flesh, or human sacrifice. The other main rumor about the Eucharist and the Black Mass is that Satanists will steal consecrated hosts and desecrate them in a Black Mass by doing obscene things with them or consuming them in ways that would be considered desecration to someone who believes in transubstantiation and therefore believes that that host is the body of Jesus. Wait, so you brought this up a while ago in an episode that if somebody steals the consecrated host, that's like a big problem. So why is that? Because of this, because of because people are concerned about black masses and other oh. people who may not have the wherewithal to actually hold a black mass, but would desecrate the host in other ways. This is a real thing. Because like, you guys believe that it's literally the body of Jesus, it if is. you believe in this. Yes, it is. If you believe in transubstantiation, which I think I kind of do. I think I do. I'm still working on that one. But you... <laughs> I, Catholicism I like, 101. No, I need to be honest with our audience. Like, I'm not just going to be like, oh, yeah, I 100% believe in this when I'm like pretty sure that I do, but I still have some things to turn over in my head. Anyway, um, I made a very funny transubstantiation joke on Twitter the other day. But this is a real thing that happens. People will steal consecrated hosts, which Catholics believe is materially, physically, like they believe that it contains the DNA of Jesus, at least if you. 100% go by the church teachings, then you would believe that between the time it's consecrated and the time that it's consumed, if you put it under a DNA, whatever machine that you could find. We could clone Jesus. You, I find mean, out what he looked like. That's actually a very good point. I don't know why we don't clone Jesus. <laughs> but people will steal these and there used to be... Once and for all. There used to be a big business of selling them on eBay. But uh, eBay has since dis the eBay eBay will not let you make a listing with consecrated host in the title. Wait, so people would steal them and then sell them on eBay. Stealing these wafers and 
and it's pretty hard Honestly, to steal them because you're supposed to put it in your mouth where like the priest can see that you ate it so that you can't steal like that's that's a security measure so it'll be like one cookie like somebody will sell like one cookie yeah and i wasn't able to find a sales price unfortunately like maybe you're a priest and you're kind of broke so you're trying to sell this shit on the side oh my god no definitely not (laughs) or maybe i don't know maybe it's probably just teenagers pulling a prank they're just trying to steal these cookies Um, it's like i think that i think that there are a couple factors here i think that some people would really enjoy the idea of desecrating a consecrated host I think there are people who would really like enjoy doing that and I don't approve of it, but like I'll talk about your right to make a point in a minute. The theory of the priest that I heard talking about it was that it was somebody who was desperate for money and thought that they could sell it to the Satanists, but didn't really know like what the market, like, I don't know if there really is a market for that. Yeah. No. Like... like I think there are people who would steal one to like do desecration things to it. Um, there definitely are people. There are people that would probably buy one for similar purposes, but I'm guessing that they don't sell for thousands of dollars or anything. I think if the Satanists really want a consecrated host, they can probably just send somebody in to steal it themselves. Like for their group, I'm going to talk about an instance where that happened in a minute. I do have to say, I have zero problem with a Satanist group wanting to hold a Black Mass ritual. I think the addition of a legitimate consecrated host is a real... I don't think that's okay. I don't believe personally that the Quran is the word of God. It's not sacred to me, but it's sacred to somebody. And I'm not going to support someone eating a pulled pork sandwich off the cover of one just for the fun of it. Yeah, no matter what you believe, stealing or vandalizing somebody's religious objects is a big no-no for us. I mean, for for it's a Catholic, right? For a Catholic, this is a not quite perfect, but pretty direct equivalent to the vandalism or desecration of a Torah scroll. And mm. I get upset when I hear about that. I would never support that. Torah scroll is worth a lot more than like a cookie. The right, right, right. The desecration level is the same the cost of course is not but the like i i see like we believe that that is literally the body of our god which maybe puts it a little more sacred than a torah scroll but also like the cost factor outweighs the other ways so that's why i'm putting them kind of on the same level if that makes sense but i just i can't i can't support desecrating somebody's sacred objects whether it's a torah scroll or another form of scripture or a consecrated host if you want to be offensive like if you feel like you need to make a point by being offensive i completely support that but maybe consider desecrating a religious object that isn't specifically sacred mm-hmm. or get a reproduction and desecrate that like, i don't care if people buy unconsecrated hosts online and then use them for a black mass I support people's right to expression. I don't think that your right to expression can infringe on somebody else's actual sacred things. People have every right to display symbols that are from religions that are not mine, including Satanism. I support people's rights to be blasphemous. I think that blasphemy is actually an excellent way to make a point. There's a difference between religious objects and sacred objects. And that's where I personally draw the line of what I see as okay and not okay. I want to hop back to this real quick because I know this is a medieval legend, 
Or is there any real evidence that black masses were actually taking place? Or was it just like a scare tactic that like back in the day that rulers would use to keep their people in line? I mean, these are things are real now. There was an annual one in Oklahoma City for a while, but the local archbishop sued because the host was stolen. The archbishop won the lawsuit, and I actually really respect the way this went down because the lawsuit was on grounds that performances at the Civic Center are not support allowed to support one religion over another and not allowed to be anything that would be considered indecent or offensive. And the archbishop said they should be allowed to have a meeting there, but they should not be allowed to use a stolen host because that's indecent or offensive. And the the lead Satanist guy actually returned the host back to the priest. So it actually went down really well. Do they have a, a photo of them shaking hands, like a photo op? I don't the... think so. I've linked it. I've linked um, two articles about that because there's one I pulled from a Catholic newspaper, which is obviously going to have a little bit of a different spin. And then there's one I pulled from a secular newspaper. Okay, but like back in medieval times, did these oh, black masses actually happen? That's I'm what sure I want I'm sure something along those lines did happen. The medieval times were wild, man. You had morality plays and traveling shows with relics of the apostles and fragments of the cross on display. There was some weird theology going around. I'm sure some people f***ed around with something like this. Okay, but back in the day, like you, you didn't have to have evidence to say anything. You could just like show up and say something happened and the people would either believe you or they wouldn't. You could just make up some story about somebody, the Jews, holding a black mass <laughs> for Satan if you wanted and you know, that's why there's bubonic plague and that's why the crops aren't going. And, you know, that's why your daughter was born with malformities like that. Yeah, exactly. So this is this is a repeating cycle. I think that there were probably some people at the time doing some kind of anti-mass or black mass or satanic mass ritual because people were doing all kinds of things and rituals and spells and right. People were doing all kind of wacky stuff. Who am I to say they weren't doing black masses? I think that rumors probably outran the reality. And now, sure, in 2021, there are some people doing this and similar things, but the rumors of hundreds of black masses a week are probably pretty overhyped. So question, is Answer. black mass where Black Sabbath got their name? I actually had to look that up. No, it came from a title of one of their songs, which came from a Boris Karloff movie. So I, I think we want to maybe talk about a different aspect of the satanic panic here because with music especially because black sabbath is i mean it's one of those bands that's heavily associated with satanism so ozzy osbourne um satanic panic basically satanic panic's poster child for an evil rock and roller what you know with the drinking with the drugs the sex the lyrics about the occult Speaking of blacks, uh, I think it's about time that we got to talking about a very famous aspect of the satanic panic, which was the fear mongering around popular music and looking for secret messages in popular songs. So let's talk about music. One of the biggest reasons that I spent so much time describing the biblical Satan in the early part of this episode is the fact that he was heaven's hype man. He was in charge of the music. One Christian theory that's fun is that his body, when he was in heaven and didn't need to present himself as a pseudo-human looking thing, his body was actually in the form of some kind of anthropomorphic pipe organ. So it makes sense that people would think that one main way that Satan influences us now is through music. 
So what you're saying is that there is a theological reason why Dio rocks and casting crowns f***ing doesn't. Yeah, but that does still leave the question of what's going on with Striper, because Striper does rock. Yeah, but Striper has beats on the two and the four, and so they're secretly satanic. There you go. Funnily enough, that's pretty much what I heard about Striper, Skillet, and Avenged Sevenfold, which is not a Christian band, but the Fundies thought that it was because of the name. I I I know some they Avenged never Sevenfold songs. Last I'm time you got to... in my car, I was playing Nightmare. They thought that Avenged Sevenfold was a Christian. I guess they never actually listened to the music. They didn't huh? listen to the music because then you get possessed by Satan if you listen to this evil, worldly, <laughs> satanic music. <laughs> so they didn't listen they didn't to listen it. To it, they're like, "Well, this definitely isn't Christian. This definitely like no." They just like heard the name and were like, "Oh, that's a Christian name," because it had, the name of Avenged Sevenfold is actually taken from the Bible, and they were like, "Oh, this must be a Christian band." But seriously, we got to talk about this. We got to talk about uh, backwards masking. Yeah, so there are kind of two factors the way that I see it that contributed to the association of music and specifically metal music with Satan. One part of it is the general behavior of rock bands like the Aussie Bat incident, and we're going to talk about that. But the first factor I want to cover is the persistent factor of backmasking or backwards masking. Do you want to define that for anybody who hasn't heard of this? Yes, I would love to define it. Or if you have heard of it, maybe go into the musical technicalities of this. So for people who are unfamiliar, backwards masking is a sometimes intentional, sometimes unintentional phenomena where if you play a song backwards, you hear a secret message. The connotation from this, of course, is that the message is satanic. Um, for our patrons, I'm actually going to go into the history of this technique because I think it's super interesting, but not 100% relevant. So I'm going to uh, leave it out of the regular episode. So in the 60s, the Beatles were the biggest pop band in the world. And in the early 60s, they were pretty much straight pop band. And in the mid 1960s, they started to get a bit more experimental. They're experimenting with psychedelic drugs. They're also playing you know, with different recording techniques. So starting in 1966 on their album revolver, they're, you know, doing some techniques where like they'll play a guitar solo and then they'll play the guitar solo in reverse on the recording for like a different effect for like a sound effect. And so the next year they came out with an album called Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Very, you know, iconic, iconic album. And one track in particular called A Day in the Life used lots of music concrete techniques to, you know, build up this huge crescendo. So there was all these tapes being played backwards um, and this orchestra that they had that they were just basically like, you know, Paul McCartney went in and said, start at the lowest note on your instrument. And then at the end of the 16 bars, I want you to get to the highest note on your instrument, but you can go as fast or as slow as you want to. And he went and he did this with an orchestra. And so this is like a very music concrete thing where you, you, you know, you build it up. Uh, like, so I know I like, I am familiar with that album and that song, but this is the first that I'm hearing of the techniques used to make it. And this is just uh, fascinating me. And this also makes me think stuff. of walk hard. I Needs more I didgeridoos. <laughs> <laughs> walk yeah. hard is one of Jonathan and my favorite movies i love that that movie's hilarious i could talk about the beatles all day i could talk about walk hard all day but go ahead (laughs) so like this really comes to a head like so a year later they or 
later that year, I think Sgt. Pepper and Magical Mystery Tour came out in the same year. At this point, yeah, Beatles psychedelic influences are, you know, they're really showing that off. Magical Mystery Tour, definitely. And these same techniques are being used, uh, like maybe not in as big and bombastic ways, but there's all of these rumors of hidden messages, satanic messages, messages saying that Paul McCartney had died, uh, you know, generally subversive stuff. And remember, this was the band that got into big, 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 big trouble with people a few years earlier when John Lennon said in an interview that the Beatles were bigger than Jesus. Yeah, that tends to get you in trouble. Yeah. People I will tell you. Like that. Yeah, no. yeah, people were not a fan. I like I was still hearing about that like literally 40 to 50 years later growing up in the IFB. But I will tell you the the Paul is dead rumor with all the supposed clues on the Abbey Road album cover, it it freaks me out. I wouldn't say I believe it, but how they're dressed as like a corpse, a minister, a mourner, and a grave digger, I think is what it is on the album cover. Like there's number clues in the license plate on the VW in the background on like the left hand side. Oh my god. There's a few too many coincidences and it seriously gives me the creeps. I don't know, man. I I don't know if I buy all that stuff. I think people are looking for something. Uh, I'll tell you one thing that I've seen Paul McCartney in concert. He's alive. I promise you he's alive. Mm -hmm. You've seen his replacement in concert. Okay. Well, if (laughs) Paul had died, then who was writing all the songs uh, with, you know, all, all those great songs. Like that's a good question. Yeah. Chances of finding somebody who looks exactly like him is slim at best, but then finding somebody who looks exactly like him, who can sing and who can write like them. Like that's, I don't know. Okay. That's, that's fair. Actually, let's, let's play the clip of the Paul is dead back masking. (laughs) Okay. Let's do it. Yeah. That that was interesting to listen. What, what are your thoughts on that? It scares me. That's the, I don't know why that one in particular. Like I'm wearing a shirt with a picture. I'm wearing my mayhem shirt, which has two dead guys on it. <laughs> like I I don't know. Like musician deaths and conspiracy stuff usually doesn't get to me like that. But for some reason, that's the one that just creeps me the fuck out. Well, you actually another fun fact about the Beatles. I don't know why I'm throwing this in here, but uh, it's another fun fact about them that I like. Love is the Beatles. That, yeah, because I love the Beatles is that they refused to play to segregated audience when they were on tour in the United States. Oh, good job, is, Beatles. 
Good for them. Yeah. Anyway, in 1968, the Beatles came out with a self-titled double album, colloquially known as the White Album. And this album had a full nine minute long music concrete composition on it, which is called Revolution 9. So if you go to that album, you look up Revolution 9. That's what that that's what that is. That's what music concrete is. That's what it sounds like. A lot of it, at least. And a lot of people sort of see this track is like a bit of a goof or a bit of a throwaway or just them like being like, oh, let's just do something weird. But this is literally them paying homage to their influences and the people who pioneered these recording techniques that they used and brought into pop music for the first time. Um, and this is like literally the biggest band in the world incorporating this really avant-garde stuff into their music. Also, by the way, they had to invent all of like a lot of the recording equipment that they were using and a lot of the techniques were ones that they had to invent themselves because what they wanted to do like sonically wasn't possible at the time with the equipment that was available. I, I could talk about the Beatles all day, but well, I think masking. I think that's yeah. probably about as much as we have time for. But what you're talking about with the Beatles, it's for audio effect purposes like it's for the way it sounds if you hear back masking so that's one like on purpose backwards thing if you hear back masking that's done on purpose for the sound of it another example would be missy elliott's work it you can clearly hear like oh that's not english that's reversed do you want to play a short clip of work it i think most people know that but would you like to stick a quick clip in there I put my thing down, flip it and reverse it. It's your primitive way and yet It's your primitive way and yet If you got a big let me search it. To find out how hard I gotta work yet. It's your primitive way and yet It's your primitive way and yet I like the yeah so she she says the line and then they play the line backwards and it's very clear like that's what it is it's not a secret message yeah because the line is put my thing in flip it and reverse yeah and then it's like right there so this is not the backmasking that I was hearing about growing up because what we're talking about, like with the Beatles or Missy Elliott, like that's the actual thing that is real. What I was hearing about is the thing that is not real, which is when lyrics are written and pronounced in such a way that played forward, they sound normal, but when played backwards, they create a subliminal message. That's the thing that's not real. <laughs> The thing that's real is like what the Beatles or Missy Elliott or so many other people who have used backmasking on purpose did. Writing very specific lyrics that will mean something different when pronounced backwards is not a thing. The whole deal with backmasking is that people... What? I'm saying... mm, I don't know. I've heard some... I've heard some stuff that makes me like sometimes i feel like people are going to do that on purpose just as like a joke okay yes doing it doing it to entice people to serve satan is not a real thing the whole deal with it is that people thought that it delivered subliminal messages and not in like in it's like not not in an artsy way but in a like there's all these theories about your brain can perceive things backwards and forwards which i don't think is true 
<laughs> like I really don't. But it, it's like it it plays into like 80, 70s and 80s pop psychology of like hypnosis tapes and like uh here's our Simpsons reference for the episode. Remember when Homer wanted to lose weight so he ordered a weight loss tape but he actually got a vocabulary tape and he listened to it while he was asleep and it hypnotized him into learning vocabulary words. Yeah. This is very much the same concept. You listen to these records and you are not consciously aware that you're hearing these messages, but your brain that can hear things both forwards and backwards is hearing these satanic messages and will make you want to kill things and be satanic. Like that's, that's what I don't believe. (laughs) Well, there's a lot of songs that supposedly have this. Uh, For instance, uh, another one bites the dust by queen when he's like, another one bites the dust. There's, they say that apparently if you play that backwards, I haven't heard this. It sounds like it's fun to smoke marijuana. Apparently it does. I don't know. I haven't. That heard doesn't it. seem like the right number of syllables, but whatever. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll maybe I'll put that clip in there, and we can find out. Okay. Um, let's do. Let's. I haven't heard that one. Yeah. Let's do that one. Another one bust the dust. Another one bust the dust. Ow! Another one bust the dust. Hey hey! Another one bust the dust. So that was interesting. I don't know what you thought about that. Um, I didn't but... hear it on that one. Okay. Well, one of the big ones that caused a lot of stir, though, was Stairway to Heaven, Led Zeppelin. Okay. Let's. Uh, can we find a clip that illustrates the supposed backmasking on that one? Yes. So I'm going to preface this by saying I think a lot of the satanic panic stuff is really bullshit. But this one is low-key kind of convincing. I've just got to say that this all still just creeps me out. Like, real or fake, it's it's still creepy. Yeah. Well, here's, I mean, here's my, here's my take on it. Because it's in the verse of the song where it's like the one verse of the song where the words don't make sense going forward, you know? Like, they don't make any, like, if there's a bustle in your head, what is that? I don't know what that means. That doesn't mean any. It's just a spring clean for the May Queen. I don't know what that means. That doesn't mean anything. The the song has heaven in the title. Um, if you play heaven backwards, it's hell. Like it's also a well known fact that Led Zeppelin guitarist Jimmy Page was really into the occult um, to the point where he literally bought Aleister Crowley's house. Okay, so pre point point, we're going to talk about Crowley. Next week, A of all, the lyrics going backwards don't make any more sense than the lyrics going forward. So I'm not sure if that is really like a a provable point. Like the the backwards masking lyrics that people supposedly hear are, there was a little tool shed where they made him suffer sad Satan. Well, when God cast Satan out of heaven. 
Into a tool yeah, shed, a- Gavi? Into a tool shed? Where did you hear that in the Revelation passage that I so carefully read out for you? I don't know. Like, is there a tool shed in hell where he keeps the... I don't think that, no. I, I don't know. I just think if this is backmasking... Somebody's got to be janitor in hell. There's got to be a tool shed. I think if this is backmasking with a secret message, then I don't think it's very successful because I don't think talking about some tool shed is really influencing anybody to do anything. I don't know, man. It's, it says like, here's to my sweet Satan whose power is like six, six, six. Like that's. Okay. That part was a little bit more convincing. I will give you that. But also, so I listened to the clip, like w- watching the lyrics uh, and I was like, oh my God, this is totally backmasking. And then I thought, oh, you know what I should do? I should listen to it with my eyes closed where I can't see the lyrics. And it didn't, I didn't hear anything in the backmasking. So I guarantee you, our listeners who are not watching the YouTube video with us and have just heard it are like, I have no idea what you guys are talking about. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure they heard the Queen one because I told them beforehand, but like, right. that, that one, yeah. Okay, we'll, we'll get some listener feedback on this. We'll see what they think. Yeah, yeah. Leave us in, in the comments on our Facebook group. Did you think that the backwards masking on Stairway to Heaven was real or if it was fake? Yeah. Um, or if you heard it or if you didn't hear it, tell, tell us what you think. And like, I see where you're coming from, that it's pretty big to call it a coincidence that like the song has heaven in the title and then like there's Satan and 666 in it. Like, I get that. But also, as a lyricist, can you imagine trying to write that? I don't know about you, man. For me, it's hard enough to write lyrics that sound good going just just one way, just one direction. I would not ever want to attempt to write lyrics that say something different backwards and still make sense forwards. Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Great idea. Excellent idea. We should get someone to play our theme song backwards and see if they get any satanic messages. You know what? I'm going to put, I'll put the theme song backwards on the Patreon. If, if anyone wants to listen and figure out the message, uh, set, like send us a message with any secret messages that you hear. And then. Um, okay. How about yeah. this? Whoever finds the most convincing backmasking secret message in our theme song, will get a special shout out on the show. That I I'm good with that. Okay, but like all jokes aside, backwards masking was a big deal all through the 70s, 80s, 60s, 70s, 80s. People were looking for satanic messages in music by playing songs backwards. It it's just like the whole IFB thing talking about with media, where you're constantly searching for any possible way that the devil can try to influence you, and you feel like a hero if you find something, even if it's just like something minor that is like probably a coincidence. Yeah. Um. So Heather talked about the spiritual cleanse where you had to get anything out of the house that was making somebody sin in your house. When you find something and you're like, oh my god, I figured out how this thing is sacred, secretly satanic, and it's ruining my life. The rush of that. Mm. Oh my God. It is like being Nicolas Cage and figuring out the clues on the back of the Declaration <laughs> of Independence. You would like, hear the music like dun, 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 like playing in your head. It is the biggest rush. It is such an adrenaline rush to do that. So like I, I get like everybody wants to find, find something that's satanic because not only are you a hero for yourself, if you're the one who figures out that something is secretly satanic, like you're a hero for yourself because you've like saved your own walk with God or whatever. But you're also a hero for everybody else because now everybody else has to give up that thing that's secretly satanic and you've saved all of them as well. 
Yeah. So it's like a big deal. I will tell you why I don't personally put a lot of stock into backmasking, though. Why? There was an app that my brothers and I used to have. We all had um, iPod Touches, like in like 2009, uh, when those were super cool. There was an app that we used to have that you could speak into it and it would play whatever you just said backwards. We used to do it just for fun, just to like see what messages we could get. And it turned out that a lot of words backwards can be construed to say something else backwards. Really? Yeah, we would experiment. So we would say a phrase, hear it backwards, and then adjust our pronunciation until we got a phrase that worked both backwards and forwards. We were super scientific about it. Oh, and like you were super into secret codes too. So you could like send messages, secret messages. Yeah, I don't think we I don't think we really got that far. But but yeah, we were we were we were super like scientifically trying to figure out if backmasking was real. I mean, it's a bit of like a one million monkeys in a typewriter coming out with Shakespeare thing. So I do want to talk about I want to shift gears and talk about the most famous incident of supposed rock star Satanism. And that, of course, is the Ozzy Osbourne head bitten off a bat incident. Ah, yes. Ozzy Osbourne, the Prince of Darkness. I mean, there are so many pieces of heavy metal lore and rock star behavior that contribute to the perception of heavy metal being equal to Satanism. But I think one of the biggest contributors is the story of Ozzy Osbourne biting the head off a live bat on stage. And this is a story that I heard a lot growing up as supposed proof of the horrors of heavy metal. So when I was growing up, I heard this story and I thought that it made him a f***ing legend and pretty much the coolest guy ever. (laughs) I want to do, it's time for, you thought you weren't going to get one this week. It's a 30 second soapbox um, segment of our podcast. I still want a theme song. I still want a theme song for when I do like 30 seconds of soapbox. Okay, but I want like the like the 60 minutes sound with like a little like tune underneath it. Like can we do the 60 minutes sound plus the Jeopardy tune and somehow not get sued for copyright infringement? I I'll I'll think of something. If if I had time, then there's music playing underneath whatever we're doing right now. But if I didn't, then there isn't. If it's okay. I've got a soapbox written for next week already. Here we go. God. The Aussie. Okay. The Aussie and the bat incident. That is still too violent for a young child to be exposed to in great detail without any kind of parental guidance. I was an extremely sheltered child. And every time I heard that story in church, I felt extremely sick because it was told in like very vivid detail, like detail that you couldn't possibly know unless you were Aussie, but the person with telling the story would just presume that they knew the exact details of what happened. I'm not saying that there's a specific hard and fast age or rule for introducing any kind of like gross and violent content to your child. Every kid's different. But I am saying that if your child in particular is really innocent and really sheltered or just very sensitive, I was all three of those things as a kid, Maybe don't expose them to to violence without a lot of guidance and a lot of room to ask questions. And please remember that verbal descriptions of violence can be just as bad as visual depictions of violence for some kids. So take that into account when you're deciding when and how to introduce this kind of urban legend or story to your child. So was it, but they were telling you really vivid and violent descriptions of what happened to Jesus. Right. And like, so it's like that. it, it, It is like that. And it's, 
like I'll do the bat incident. If this is going to gross you out, just skip like 60 seconds and you'll pick up in the middle of the story. <laughs> okay. So the, the, the level of detail that I was getting, um, I still haven't talked about it yet. So if you're skipping ahead, keep skipping. The level of detail that I was getting from the, the Aussie story, they would talk about like how it would have felt for his teeth to break the skin of the bat and the gush of blood into his mouth. Like campfire story stuff, but that's gross. And if you're five years old, you probably don't need to be hearing that, especially not in conjunction with like some real fear mongering about like the Satanists who want to kidnap you and sacrifice you. That's probably not ideal for a very sensitive five-year-old. I want to share what actually happened in that story in case anybody else is still as squicked out by it as I was until Jonathan, Mr. Heavy Metal Encyclopedia, informed me of the reality of the story. So here's the real story behind the bat incident. What happened was Ozzy had a regular part, and I did fact check this with my husband because he knows everything about this. Ozzy had a regular part of his set where there would be rubber bats on stage. And part of his stage shtick was that he would put the rubber bat head in his mouth and mime like he was ripping the heads off. This was just a thing that he did every night on that tour. Nobody knows where the real bat came from. It's assumed that an audience member probably threw it onto the stage, but Ozzy, and you have to remember, this is Ozzy. There were probably like 12 kinds of intoxicants in his system at the time. He picked up a live bat and he did not realize that it was not a rubber one until he went to mime biting its head off and the head actually came off. So this was a terrible, terrible thing to happen. I mean, like like him or hate him this is not something that should happen to a human being this is awful and he stopped the show immediately and went straight to the hospital for a rabies shot and the fact that he stopped the show immediately and like freaked out and was really upset about the fact that he hurt an animal that says to me that he probably didn't intend to bite the heads off any live bats for satanic purposes that day he was a, a reportedly and i've seen an interview of him talking about this he was reportedly really traumatized by this yeah do you well do you know the story about alice cooper and the chicken i do but please tell us so alice cooper is one of those rockers you know a lot like kiss a lot of great songs but he's also known for putting on a great stage show like that's what he's known for and i think that alice cooper is maybe a bit edgier than kiss would you say oh yeah i would yeah so but the same general like genre of, of rock. Uh, but there is also a level of subversiveness because he's a man, but he's going by Alice as his stage name. Um, yeah. So in 1969, they're playing some festival in Toronto. Somebody throws a live chicken on stage and he's like, F- he throws it back because he doesn't know anything about chickens. He thinks it'll fly because it's a bird. Yeah, according to Jonathan, he's like a city boy and he doesn't know that chickens don't fly. And he thought, oh, if I throw this, it'll fly. Yeah, he doesn't know anything about chickens. So he just throws it. He's like, it's it's a bird. It'll fly. Doesn't fly. The crowd grabs the chicken, tears it to shreds, which is not great. Um, the headline, though, is that the newspapers ran with was Alice Cooper bites the head off a live chicken and drinks its blood. <laughs> And he's frantically trying to figure out what to do because he didn't do any of that. He's talking to Frank Zappa. Frank Zappa tells him, whatever you do, don't deny it. It makes you the baddest guy in town. 
So Jonathan actually told me that story while I was fact-checking the Aussie story with him. So I'm glad that you brought it up. But yes. did you know that Alice Cooper is actually a Christian? I did know that. Yeah, he's like, he doesn't drink. He's a super soft-spoken guy. He doesn't drink anymore. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But like, I mean, this leads me to something that I want to talk about, because I mentioned this earlier in this episode, uh, uh, is that with the self-fulfilling prophecies, where if you're old, you know, if you're conservative, especially, and this is not anything against you, because we've been accused of ageism before, uh, but there is a 99% chance that kids are going to think you're uncool. Okay. You just like, it's just part of being old. So if you're old, you're conservative, you see something that the kids are doing that freaks you the F out. You decide that you're going to make it into a big thing, like freak out about it. There is no better way for you to ensure that the kids start doing that thing than by launching a campaign against it. So do you feel like Satanism, both like the actual real kind and the sensationalized Aussie style kind, how, do you think this has been advanced by people making a big deal out of it? Is oh, that what you're saying? 100%. Like, I mean, what what do you want to do? Like, piss off your parents with your music, right? True. That's the music video for We're Not Gonna Take It. Yeah, that's the music. That's like every music video. Okay, fair. That's my favorite example of it in, in a music video. Yeah. Like, if it's too, th like, you know, what is it in the, 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 the parents are old and they're like, turn that noise off. Like if you're, if it's 2004 and your parents grew up on the Beatles, what are you going to listen to to piss them off? It's going to be Eminem and 50 cent. If it's 1978, your parents grew up on Sinatra. You're going to be listening to black Sabbath. You're going to be listening to Led Zeppelin. I think it's really obvious. So we don't have time to in-depth cover the PMRC and this is making me think that maybe we should do a PMRC episode because there's like so much there. But I think it's obvious that the PMRC explicit stickers just make people a thousand percent more likely to want to buy the album. Oh, yeah. Like, what you remember when, well, you know, because we weren't alive when this happened, but when NWA came out with Straight Out of Compton and they got that parental advisory sticker on the cover, there's no better way to get the kids to want to buy the album, right? Because right. they're like, we got to put the sticker on the album so that the kids don't buy it. No, you put the sticker on the album, all the kids are going to buy it. That, no, that's that's exactly what happened. Well, fun fact, actually, do you know what album it was that made Tipper Gore start the campaign for those stickers? Which one? It was Prince Purple Rain, specifically the song Darling Nikki, which is also a song that contains backward masking, uh, coincidentally. But that wasn't what she objected to. What she objected to were the lyrics, which were, I knew a girl named Nikki. I guess you could say she was a sex fiend. I met her in a hotel lobby masturbating with a magazine. Okay, fair. Yeah, because she, you know, she heard Let's Go Crazy on the radio and then she got the album and her daughter was listening to it. And she's like, wait, what? What? I mean, depending on how how young the kid was, that might be maybe not the best. And, you know, parental discretion and all that. Fair point. Fun fact, uh, Prince was a Jehovah's Witness. I did know the part about him being a Jehovah's Witness. I did not know about it, about it being that song that uh, made her want to start the PMRC. Although Jonathan has probably told me about it before because this is one of his absolute like music censorship and the PMRC is one of his favorite to topics. He actually made me, he knew what I was recording tonight and he made me sit down and listen to Hook and Mouth by, by Megadeth before I started recording. I don't know that one. I've never been a huge Megadeth fan. It's like, it's like a specific diss track on the PMRC. Like the, the, the lyric to the chorus is like, I'll never be free as long as there's a PMRC. 
Interesting. I, no, I he, don't doubt that he's like, this is Jonathan is like the biggest music history nerd. And this is one of his big things that he loves to talk about. So he's, he's a few years older than us though. He's, um, so I think by the time I was buying my own, he's CDs, five and a half years older than me, almost six years older than you. Yeah, that tracks. Cause like by the time I was buying CDs, people didn't care maybe so much about the whole parental advisory thing. But if I were five years older, I think it would have been a bigger deal. I think it was a bigger deal for my brother than it was for me. Yeah. Cause your brother is closer to Jonathan's age. My brother is 32. Okay. Is he? Yeah. That's how old he is. Yeah. He was yeah. born in 89. Yeah, so Jonathan tells stories about his mom taking him into stores to buy CDs. So he was like 14 or 15. So when I can't do, I can't do math. So like early, early 2000s and the cashier is confronting his mom like, ma'am, this has an advisory sticker on it. Are you sure you want to buy this for your son? And his mom having to stand up for him and being like, well, I think my son can listen to whatever he wants. (laughs) that that is a terrible impression of my mother-in-law i hope she does not hear this i think at that age my parents were more concerned with me playing violent video games than they were with me listening to music with swear words because like i used to listen to when i was in middle school i think my favorite cd was a green day american idiot and i listened to that like every day and that has like lots of swear words in it and that was what like in sixth grade when that was popular that was like my favorite as we've discussed before, I was listening to Green Day in high school, but I did not know that they were popular music. I thought they were just like this way underground band that Pandora had recommended for me. Really? Yeah. That's no, hilarious. I, they were like, that, that no, was I was like constantly. I was listening to American music. Idiot in like, I was a couple of years late. I was listening to it in maybe six. I got the iPod touch when I was like six, 15, maybe almost six. I was listening to it in like 2008, 2009. So you thought they were singing about Obama? <laughs> no, I no, I thought it was like an old, I thought it was like old, like from the 90s or something. And it was some really underground band that I had never heard of. Wow. Yeah. And then I got out and I realized that Green Day was an actual popular band and it was, a, it was kind of a mind blower. Well, now that we've, now that we, you know, Green Day. Yeah, of course I know Green Day. <laughs> yeah, no, I thought it was like, um, like, <laughs> anyway, now that we've told the true story behind one of the most extreme heavy metal Satanism stories and talked about the PMRC and talked about pretty much everything else in the entire world, we should probably wrap this episode up. Yeah, we've done a lot for our listeners. We've done a lot for our patrons. We wanted to, we were feeling inspired today because we got uh, new faith promise missions to your patrons and we wanted to do something special for all of you. And we got Chuck to bed early. So we're finishing before 10 PM, which is just great. Um, This is just, this is, this has been a lot of fun and we have so much more to cover next week on this topic. So for part two, we're going to discuss and maybe debunk some of these rumors. We're going to talk about how Satanism was perceived in the IFB. We're going to cover what modern Satanism actually is. Um, next week's episode is going to be just as good. So y'all Probably uh, better even. I, I mean, do we really want to set expectations that high? 
I don't know, man. I'm really excited for it. We've got a ton of great episodes coming up. We're, we're going to be covering the Josh Duggar trial when that happens. The second Satanism episode is uh, next week. And then after that, we have a big, big, big true crime episode that we're extremely excited for. So keep your eyes out for that. That was funny. We've had this episode planned for a while. And then somebody in our Facebook group today asked when we were going to do it. Yeah. So that's when it's coming. Two weeks, three weeks. I don't know. I just want to officially state that it was on our list first. Yeah. You didn't give us the idea, but. But we're glad that you're interested. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. If you like our show, if you want to uh, support our show, you can join our Patreon at patreon.com slash leaving Eden podcast. You can join our Facebook group, which is facebook.com slash groups slash Eden Exodus. Uh, you can join our subreddit, which is going to be reddit.com slash r slash Eden Exodus. If you want to follow the podcast on social media, on Facebook and Instagram, it is at Leaving Eden Podcast. On Twitter, it is at Leaving Eden Pod. Sadie, would you like to plug your social media? Sure. You can follow me on Instagram at Sadie Carpenter Music, on Twitter at Hell Yes Sadie, or on TikTok at Sadie Carpenter One. I need like four of you to follow me on TikTok because. <laughs> Uh, I am really, I'm close to being able to go live on TikTok and that I could participate with some other Xers and deconstruction people who have invited me to be on their lives, which I would really like to do, but I can't until I get a few more followers. So I don't care if you watch my videos, but if you could follow me on TikTok and help me get my follower count up a little higher, that'd be rad. And if you want to follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and Clubhouse, I am at G-A-V-R-I-E-L-H-H-C-O-H-E-N. Thank you very much. And we'll see you guys next week. It's been great.